This is Dennis Ramondi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. <clears throat> we can be found there in uh, most all podcast platforms. So uh, please tune in. We are also a YouTube channel. And uh, whether you go to the podcast or to the YouTube channel, please hit the subscribe button. We would appreciate it. And we want to thank those folks out there who have contributed to keep help keep us on the air. And uh, if you want to do that, you can go uh, to spiritmatterstalk.com and the information for contributing will be there. We are not a nonprofit, so it's not a donation, but we could use the help. And uh, we have our archives free and available to the public with 300 plus uh, interviews in there now. Our guest today, Tom Kristoviak, he holds a bachelor's degree from Harvard University and from Cambridge University, a master's degree. Uh, he was a Knox fellow. Uh, he's a trained teacher of transcendental meditation, and he joined an international community in Fairfield, Iowa in 1993. And I must say, I've known Tom for quite a while, and I also have a home there. Uh, and um, he has written a, a fascinating book, Tempted to believe, and it's about belief and uh, what we, why we believe what we believe and should we believe what we believe and how should we approach that. Uh, I think Tom considers himself a skeptic, <clears throat> so he's been battling beliefs all his life or most of his life, and I think I'm in the same boat. Uh, I related to a lot to, of what uh, Tom wrote about. So uh, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with us today, Tom. Thanks for having me. So Tom, before we get into the substance of attempted uh, to believe, tell us a bit about your own personal history, your uh, spiritual history uh, mainly, and and what uh, brought you to write the book. Good, thank you. Well, let me try to put it in a nutshell if I can. Um, I've always had a skeptical streak. Um, I was sort of on an academic track as Dennis outlined, but I also was interested in possibilities that might be outside of any conventional box. And so during college, I got very interested in meditation, specifically transcendental meditation, became a teacher, sort of abandoned the academic track and decided I would follow this path. And the reason I got interested, even though I was a skeptic, is, is in part because this particular form of meditation uh, pursued some scientific research about its efficacy from the, from the early days. And that really caught my attention. I said, this sounds both interesting and plausible. Let's, let's go for it. And of, I found the results very rewarding and therefore I continue it even to this day. But uh, again, as Dennis mentioned, uh, I joined this community in Fairfield, Iowa, an, an intentional community of, that eventually had a few thousand people coming into this relatively small rural town in Iowa to pursue group practice of meditation and some advanced meditative techniques as well. And uh, what I found uh, in this community was that I was surrounded by people, thousands of people <laughs> who believed some very extraordinary things. And as time went on, I found that I believed none of them. I certainly believed in the efficacy of the meditation and the effects that it produces and 
and so forth on that pragmatic level. But the extraordinary beliefs, which we could mention a few of if we like, um, I, I just parted company with, with my cohort. And these are people that I worked with, people that I, I my friends, all my associates, intelligent people, um, successful people who happen to believe some of the, I would say, of the more extraordinary things you could possibly imagine. For instance, that, that uh, human beings could levitate, learn to levitate or fly through the air, that uh, a certain type of astrology, called Indian astrology called Jyotish, could provide a degree of perfect uh, advice about one's life and one's future and could help you prevent all kinds of ills, um, that uh, a group of people meditating together in this, in this small rural town or anywhere, a large enough group, would utterly transform society. Uh, these are some of the less, I would say, less unusual, less esoteric, believe it or not, beliefs that everyone around me shared. And so what I was finding is that I didn't share them and that didn't cause me distress, but it definitely roused my curiosity as to how is it that all of the, not all of them, but the large majority of people surrounding me believed extraordinary things, even outlandish things, and I simply could not or did not. I was inoculated, so to speak, from, uh, from these beliefs. So that was the impetus that led me basically into an inquiry. I wasn't launching a polemic against belief. I'm not arguing against belief per se. Uh, at least the, the impetus of the book was to explore why is it or how is it that some people so readily will believe claims about the world and the universe that lack substantial evidence and uh, other people like myself simply cannot go along with those claims uh, in the absence of, uh, of evidence? Well, it seems like uh, uh, all religions uh, uh, delve into that area. And I believe uh, I read in the book that you grew up Catholic, as did I. And but I went to public school. You went, you were exposed to nuns and you, I think, Jesuits. Mm -hmm. My brother went to Jesuit prep school. And uh, that's one of the reasons I didn't go. And I think they said, you give us a young man for four years and we'll have him for life. And uh, so they, they were very um uh skilled at uh strengthening get, giving one beliefs and strengthening one's beliefs or, or uh getting one to commit to those beliefs so uh my guess is that you uh went through that period of catholic education before you went to harvard and there was probably a period where you started challenging those beliefs broke away from them but then was it that you were purposefully looking for another belief system to go into because that seems to be the pattern of many, if not most people. No, I don't think I was looking for a belief system. I, uh, I had a general curiosity about what was possible, obviously. And at that time, in the early 70s, there were a number of things bubbling up, claiming to uh, open up new states of uh, awareness or possibility in the human, human consciousness. I mean, there were obviously the psychedelics and so forth, which were part of that, but also there were spiritual uh, groups and leaders coming around uh, talking about the possibility that there is far more to this than meets the eye and that there were there would be ways to open up to that. So I think I was more looking for experience 
rather than an actual um, any kind of belief system. Bill. Tom, uh, some of the um, kinds of things you uh, mentioned with respect to beliefs that are common in your community that you don't share um, are in a kind of category I've seen in every spiritual organization. Um, and some of them don't seem that outlandish to me. You, I know there are a lot, <laughs> a lot more that would be on the extreme end of the spectrum, especially uh, in this time of COVID and uh, all kind, you know, all the conspiracy theories and so forth. Um, it, with the kind of beliefs you are mentioning, um, are there sort of degrees of uh, efficacy. For example, um, large groups are getting together and healing the world. Well, maybe that's outlandish, but we've all been in groups meditating together and it is, there is something going on. We all feel uh, different than when we meditate alone. Something happens. Um, astrology may not give you perfect view of the future, but it's shown me and other people a lot of uncanny things, uh, you know, that turn out to be true. Uh, and similarly, so is there a range? And in my experience, people tend to uh, be a little bit more skeptical than they'll admit to their peers. Uh, in these respects, um, and you know, is is that part of the picture? Mm. Well, you said a lot of things there, Phil, that were interesting. Um, as far as the efficacy or the the felt efficacy of something like a large group meditation, that raises the whole issue of subjective experience versus what you might call objective reality. So. Um, I honor and appreciate and experience myself subjective qualities and experiences that, uh, that are rewarding and wonderful, whether they be individual, whether they be in groups. Um, this is real. I mean, it's real in the sense that it happens to us. We feel it. It can be incredibly powerful for some people. Um, it, become, it can become so powerful as a subjective inner experience that they cannot imagine that whatever it is they conclude from it could possibly not be true. This is where the, the title of my book, Tempted to Believe, comes in. If one has a powerful internal experience of something, um, we almost seem to be wired to want to make something of it yeah. more than the fact that I had a tremendously valuable or, uh, expanding experience inside my own awareness. And we want to make something of it and make a statement about how the universe works or what forces may exist or sources of knowledge uh, that may be esoteric, difficult to pin down, that, that must be there. Um, and that's also true with something like astrology. You mentioned that there were, could be some uncanny um, predictions or, uh, or uh, uh, ideas contained in an astrological reading. And that sense of the uncanny 
almost uh, impossible coincidence. You go, well, this couldn't be a coincidence. It's just too amazing. This is an experience I think that happens to most of us, if not all of us in one way or another, whether it be some synchronicity, some coincidence in our lives where we go, wow, what, what was that? Um, and that's step one, what was that? And generally the answer is, we have no idea, um, but the, again, there's the temptation or the tendency to say, what was that? That is a synchronicity, which is part of the uh, network web of interconnected consciousness overseen by you know, a divine intelligence, whatever. I mean, that's sort of an extreme elaboration, but that's the kind of tendency, I think, that we, we take it uh, we want to take it and turn it into something that has discrete meaning. Um, and also in terms of uncanny coincidences, there are the very, very difficult laws of probability, which we are not at all good as uh, normal humans who right. uh, to, to evaluate, was this truly, uh, truly beyond belief, extraordinary, uh, uncanny coincidence, or was it just the kind of thing that you would, might expect to happen from time to time if you pay attention to things as they as they go on right. but yeah i think there certainly is a uh, to get back to your broad question there certainly is a, a range of uh, of uh, levels of involvement or commitment uh, with all of these all of these spiritual things and uh, it's just to me it's just a matter of whether you want to uh, put your, your stake in the ground with a firm claim about how the universe of the world works in often in hidden, hidden and virtually unknown ways, or whether you just can dispense with that and go with the value of the subjective experience itself. By the way, Tom's book, uh, Tempted to Believe, is the cover, and it's available uh, now. So uh, uh, I would write, it's really well written, by the way. It really reads very easily and clearly, which uh, is, is uh, especially with the subject matter, which uh, you should be congratulated for. But uh, in, in the book, there's a quote. At the end of your four years at Harvard, you uh, uh, turn to one of your friends and you ask them, what did you, above all else, what did you learn in your four years here? And his answer is, it is better to be fooled many times than to be a skeptical man. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, that was the- that Fascinating. Was yeah, that was yeah. actually the the real impetus uh, or crystallization, the beginning of the crystallization of my whole exploration. That that idea exactly um, is it. Is there some when you one is a skeptical man, as I definitely am, is there something you are categorically going to be missing about life um, by just uh, not letting yourself flow into the into the wider world of belief um, and so I wanted to take that very very seriously rather than just say no of course not so I, I tried to expose myself uh, doing a lot of reading uh, in the areas you know of people who are believers whether they're believing in conventional religious or spiritual things whether they're believers in paranormal and esoteric things trying to find the deep, solid truth in there and being, being op as much open as I could be to the idea that 
I might have my eyes open and go, okay, I see, I see there's something here that I was had blinders on as a skeptical person. That did not happen to me. Um, I, again, I honor so many of the practices. I know, Phil, maybe your most recent book, The uh, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, is that the name of it? Yeah. Um, all these practices that are available can have real benefits in people's lives, no question about that. The benefits can be had in my experience and the great expansiveness and the awe and the wonder about life and all of its, all of its manifestations. There's an unlimited amount of, of things that are available even to the skeptical person. Uh, all that the skeptical person is losing is those discrete beliefs uh, claims about the way the world is right. and the way that the world works. So, so if I could follow up, why is it then that so many folks, if I, uh, in my own case, if I become the skeptic and I question them on a belief, well, is that something you know, or is that something you actually believe? There is a difference. Uh, many people feel very, very uncomfortable with that. They don't like me asking that question. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I mean, I have my thoughts on it, but I'd like to hear what you're, you're thinking on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, one simple answer, I think, would be that uh, <clears throat> perhaps in the back of, the of their mind, they know that they're not standing on the most solid ground, especially when you get into the conventional ways of determining what solid ground is. Right. You know, some, some uh, degrees of objective verifiable uh, reality, they, they, they probably have a sense, even though they don't necessarily think about it very much, that, that the ground is not necessarily that solid in that sense. And so if someone starts probing in that direction, it puts attention on that. And in, instead, as I outline in the book, there are so many ways that people relate to truth. It might be, um, it's true for me, which sort of implies that truth can actually be an individual thing, as opposed to a consensual thing that, that has some uh, greater, greater uh, validity. Um, it may be that I feel this is true, or I intuit this is true. It's true on the level of my heart. Um, these kind of claims, which are essentially um, extremely different and distinct from any kind of uh, attempt to validate or verify things in an objective way. Tom, in my experience, um, there are people who consider themselves skeptics uh, and uh, hold that uh, they, how can I put this? They consider themselves skeptics, but to such an extreme that they're closed to anything for which uh, the known uh, scientific evidence uh, does not, has not yet validated or confirmed. I find that some of those people are believers about anti-believing. That is to say, they, you know, they believe that only evidence gathered in uh, the, the known methods of science 
are the, uh, the, the sole criteria for what we can hold to be true. And don't recognize that science and reason and logic uh, all have their own limitations and are close to anything that is not in that box. How do we deal with that aspect of belief? Right. I, I, mean, I think you're right about that. Um, I certainly would want to encourage uh, a much more open stance towards possibility. In my own case, if I read about someone who has claimed, uh, a, a man named uh, Daryl Bem uh, claimed to have, uh, have good experimental evidence for precognition in a number of laboratory experience, ex experiments about, about 12 years ago. And when I hear about that, I go, wow, this is really interesting. And I, I wanna read as much as I can about it. I wanna see if it's been replicated. Um, so that's on the level of still within science, Phil. Um, but rather than just saying, ah, hogwash, I'm not interested, which some people will take that, that point of view. And I, I definitely don't think that's the best point of view. You wanna be open to be surprised. I want to be surprised. I would love to be surprised by something ex truly extraordinary being able to be demonstrated. But Phil, when you, when you uh, talk about the possibility of other ways of knowing, um, that's a very interesting area because it depends what one wants, one wants to know or wants to think one knows. If it's about what is possible for human awareness to experience uh, internally, um, that's a type of knowing. And the way you know that is by what you have been able to experience, unless you want to just take someone else's word for it. But uh, that's a type of knowing because it's a knowing about yourself and your own awareness and your own experience. And that's, it's hard to even want to deny anything like that. But as soon as it crosses the line into, as I said, let's make a claim, like let's make a claim that uh, a homeopathic pill will cure malaria. That is now entered into a different world you have left behind your own internal spiritual world and you have entered into a claim about, meta, about physical things, about the human body, about disease, about cures. And that's where I think you're stepping into the expertise of science. And so those are the, bound, those are the um, divisions that I would see. Um, but I know we're gonna be running out of time and I wanted to uh, take your invitation to, to uh, Lead us. Lead us in a different, slightly different direction, uh, which is we've been talking about spiritual things, most for the most part here, which totally makes sense given that this is sp spirit matters. But one of the things that occurred during the uh, exploration that was my book, which was a very long time, I was working and doing other things at the time. This was a side project, so it took a long time. And during those years, we saw in society uh, a blossoming of all kinds of outrageous beliefs that were extremely troubling and dangerous in the political sphere. And what we saw is there were skilled actors like the, the uh, internet trolls and in, uh, uh, affiliated with Russia or whomever 
that knew how to do one thing, which is influence what people believed was true. And they used social media very skillfully and they used emotion and uh, primarily, and they know how to do it. And so the, the danger there, and there were, there've been so many things. We have all the conspiracies, we have QAnon, we have anti-vaxxers, we have the stop the steal. I mean, it goes on forever. Um, some of them quite disturbing or dangerous. And uh, they share, this is where it gets really tricky because I think the, the susceptibility of people to those kinds of beliefs bears a certain resemblance to people's ability to jump into discrete claims about the universe that come in from a spiritual level. In other words, things that you evaluate things by how they feel, uh, how they seem, how they resonate internally, um, and don't give a lot of attention to uh, evidence, grounding and, and more solid evidence. And that, that's why, even though there's so many people who are believers and spiritual believers who are wonderful people and are not pursuing any sort of, uh, are not promulgating any sort of dangerous or negative things, there is a tendency, which you probably have read about, it's been covered a lot, that, that people have found a disturbing prevalence of certain conspiracy beliefs among spiritual communities, whether it be intense yoga communities or uh, new age enclaves. Um, and I think that illustrates, it's not like that's, I'm not giving out a statistical or scientific uh, analysis of that but there certainly has it's something that has been noticed both individually and by the press um, and I think that's because there is some some generic similarity there uh, to 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 be tempted to believe a claim about reality because of how it feels it seems to extend something that I felt myself and so we just leap all the way into saying this is the way it is. This is the truth. And that can be very dangerous. I'm glad you brought it up because it's something I have been giving a lot of thought to. First of all, I live in a, uh, an intentional community, as do you, a spiritual community. And, and uh, I've seen a lot of that. And also a time when conspiracy theories are running wild, uh, 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 in large part because of uh, people's access to social media. And uh, I, I think, first of all, I mean, if somebody is in a spiritual community that uh, is involved in some very unusual beliefs or whatever. So that, those, those, uh, that, that's a, a, a segment of the population that is open to uh, having, uh, being able to believe things that might not have a lot of evidence behind them. But I think what's, what's troubling and confusing to me is a lot of people um, in, the, in the country, in the world in general, who um, I, I assumed at first, I should say that the problem was education. People weren't education, educated in science. They weren't educated in statistics. It was hard for them to really evaluate uh, 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 claims. Uh, but there are many people I know that I've encountered who are well educated in science, in statistics. Uh, overall, I would consider bright, intelligent people. 
that have bought into some conspiracy theories and beliefs that are just baseless and, and nonsensical. And that's the part I think that confuses me most. And no amount of uh, rational evidence, empirical evidence, to uh, 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 combat their claim or belief has any effect. Well, yeah, why is that? <laughs> that's really an, an interesting observation that it's not, you're right, that it's not that people who have a good grounding in science are immune to these kinds of outlandish uh, theories. Um, I think the common denominator might be that whether you are grounded in science in your training or not, if for one reason or another, you are the kind of person who has uh, allowed themselves entry into a belief of some kind or other uh, that is outside the bounds of anything that uh, can be validated objectively, that there's a little bit of a slippery slope there that you know how you've done that before, you know how to do it. So let's say you were a scientist, but you were exposed to some spiritual claims and then beliefs. Uh, maybe they're affiliated with a practice that you really find valuable, and therefore that gave you an entree into accepting all the beliefs that were surrounding it. And you 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 were swept strongly into that channel of being able to believe some of these things in an absence of strong evidence. You know how to do that. You've done it once, maybe in a very deep, important way in your life. And so when something else crops up, you're able to once again sidestep your scientific training or your, or your critical thinking abilities and go in that other mode. It's a very different mode of, 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 of dealing with the world. You know, you can have your scientific mode when you're in your lab and you're doing your research. Okay, you know what you're, you know how to do that. But then you go to the other mode where your, your values live and what you really think is important. And at that time, you may allow yourself or be unable to avoid uh, using a completely different mode of interaction with, with, uh, with the claim and go, this feels powerful to me. This feels true. And there you go. Tom, isn't uh, a big part of this, especially now that you've opened it up to uh, the, the broader picture of uh, life in an age of uh, untruth and skepticism about what is true and how do we know what's true, um, isn't there, there also uh, factors such as um, what constitutes evidence what is the source of the evidence? What is the source of expertise? Because we, we're, we're all limited in our own expertise. So some of us will take uh, the word of a physician or a physicist. Others will take the word of a guru or the word of the Bible or something like that as constituting reliable evidence. And to me, it's also complicated by the fact that some of the uh, sources that we turn to have proven to be unreliable in the past. There's good reason to be skeptical about uh, studies coming out of the pharmaceutical industry, for example. So, so some of it is, is 
gets very, very complicated. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, how, and, and we've all, you know, the whole history of science is something that was held to be true and thought to be true ends up not being true because that's how science advances. So some people who are in, involved in outlandish conspiracy theories just think they're looking for the evidence in the right places and being skeptical about the right thing. So how do you deal with all that? Well, that's true. The skepticism goes in all directions, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah, the the uh, the 911 truthers will be skeptical about everything that has ever claimed about how the, the towers actually right. fell. Um, so you can be a skeptic on, on both sides, but it is very, uh, very complex, Phil. Um, but from my point of view, even though, yes, absolutely, science uh, sometimes changes its mind or certainly gets revised to be more, more uh, successful, more inclusive of, of reality, um, it changes. But the way it changes is via consensus. So I think all, all one can rely on is a consensus of suitable experts because you can always find one or a handful or any number of engineers, PhDs, medical doctors who will say and believe anything because they're just human beings. Just the fact that they have those initials after their name doesn't necessarily mean all that much in this area. So you can't, any individual or small group of individuals really doesn't mean that much um, it has to be something, um, you, you hitch your wagon to the evolving consensus of science, of the broad scientific community. Um, at least that's what I do. So if I hear about some new health claim or something, it might be intriguing. You go, hmm, you know, how's the evidence going? And uh, a lot of times the answer is, zilch, you know, we don't really have any, but we've got plenty of subjective reports. And that can be enough. And again, that might be enough for someone to say, great, I think I'll try it. Right. You know, whether it's kombucha, I, I talked a little bit in my book about kombucha. <laughs> Incredible claims have been made about what kombucha will do for you. And, you know, if you read those, you might go, well, I don't know about all those claims, but, you know, I think it's worth a try. So you try it and, and maybe, maybe it seems to help you and that's great. That, that's just a, a story about one that doesn't really say all that much about kombucha because there's so many variables there. But, uh, you know, so I, I'm interested in these claims but I do wait for the evidence. So uh, it's the same when people are continually coming up with free energy machines. You know, they've invented something in their garage or maybe in a little lab that they say is actually pulling energy out of the vacuum or something like that. And is it's gonna be the source of free energy for everyone. And you go, wow, wow. You're would... looking for investment money too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go, yeah, that would be the greatest, you know, I love it. But uh, the loving it, as I say, doesn't win. It's not because I love it or it sounds fantastic. You find that the evidence just isn't there and you have i have to wait for the time when uh, when there will be uh, a consensus backing it up of replicated science now again phil 
These are all things that are objective. There are a lot of things you simply cannot test. You cannot test if there is life after death. You just, you can try, you can collect anecdotes, whatever, um, like Ian Stevenson did, but, but you're not gonna be able to prove it. Um, you can't prove whether there's an infinite consciousness out there somewhere. These are things one might have a relationship with and just choose to go with um, for whatever reason. And I'm comfortable with that until they start, until someone starts telling me that this is the way it <laughs> right, is. Right, right, right. Yeah. I have a final question for you, Tom. Yeah. And uh, you, you've actually answered it, uh, a lot of it in, in much of what you said. But if somebody came up to you and said, look, I read your book, <clears throat> really enjoyed it. Here it is again. And uh, the, the, uh, I, and they say to you, I, I realized I've been really caught up in my beliefs. It's my beliefs that I, I've lost my objectivity. What, what, I, help me find the way. I, 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 I understand that, that uh, a belief is not absolute and not necessarily true. How do I approach the life? How do I approach life more uh, uh, objectively? Uh, where do I go from here? How do I not let these beliefs control my behavior in my life completely? Well, that would be a great uh, inquiry, wouldn't it? If someone came up and said that. But uh, they're already. I've asked myself that question many times. But yeah. But go ahead. Yeah. They're halfway there. Um, I don't know that I have any sort of pithy or, you know, or, or simple uh, answer that one could give that person in two minutes right. or, or five minutes or whatever. Um, you know, I have had the experience with a number of people having read the book, where it's a fairly long book, you know, 300 plus pages. And if they actually go through it and read it, they'll be exposed to so many different angles about, about this whole subject, um, continually shining the light of, uh, of evidence onto the inquiries. And what I found is at least with some people, they their previous unexamined beliefs or partially examined beliefs loosen up. So I don't, so an exposure to a more in-depth investigation of all the different sides of this question, I think has that tendency more than unfortunately some simple Mahavakya that one could give them that would, uh, that would, uh, make them think the light, think the light bulb go off. Yeah. <laughs> I, along those lines, Tom, I was hoping you could uh, leave the audience with some good advice. You may uh, choose not to, but uh, Read the book. Yeah. It, it seems to me that um, treading through, especially the spiritual realms, you have to have a, a certain balance. And one of those areas of balance is to be open-minded about what might be possible and what might be true beyond what seems obvious without being gullible. And on the other hand, to be objective and skeptical without uh, being a cynic or closed-minded. How, how, how do you find balance and what do you recommend to other people? Good question. Well, I think you said it well, those, those, those are the approaches. Um, I, I, I personally am very inquisitive and open and want to be surprised. As I said, I would love to see a, an alien descend from a UFO on, on my <laughs> property or, or uh, 
um, just blow me away, please. You know, I mean, that, that would be great. So open, I'm, I love to, to read and hear about people exploring all kinds of spiritual possibilities and other possibilities. I don't love so much reading about QAnon and, uh, and uh, some of these other things. That's a little bit beyond the pale. But um, yeah, the openness is really, I think, very important because it allows you also to communicate better with, with people who are believers. You, don't want, you certainly don't want to come across as someone who's above them or in any way condescending or judging. It's, it's you know, want to have an openness and an appreciation of what their, uh, what their life experience is. But uh, yeah, at the same time, at this time, I think in society, a lot of us are, are pretty well aware that there are real dangers or pitfalls to not applying a certain type of critical thinking um, more broadly than is often done. It, there's a great need for that. And I think we have enough examples right now, not just from unusual spiritual pursuits, but also from so many uh, political or uh, conspiratorial um, thinkings that uh, there's so many examples to point to that we, anyone can, or most people, many people can see that there's a real value in, uh, in honing your own uh, critical thinking and in asking yourself the simple question, do I know this is true? How do I know this is true? Is it true just for me, because that's the way I feel, or is it true in a broader sense? And how would I, how would I know that that's the case? Good way to end, don't you think, Dennis? Yeah, excellent. Thank you very much for your time. And again, the book, Tempted to Believe the Seductive Power of Claims about the Truth, Tom Kosoviak, available on Amazon now and all other good places. And uh, any questions, we'll have all this information post it up and again uh if you're listening on the podcast or you're watching on youtube tv please hit the subscribe button many more great guests coming up but tom that was fascinating uh and uh love to have you back on sometime i, I this is subject matter that is of great interest to me for sure thank you very much me too thanks tom it's been great talking to you guys thanks a lot for having me